hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, I um, welcome to Fellowship another week. I hope y'all had a good week. Um, when I was in my pre-marriage days, um, I had a little bit more dispensable income. Can I get amen? In my days before toddlers, I had a little bit more money in my pocket. Amen? You know, and I got, uh, I would take these epic vacations. I mean, I worked as an engineer, and I worked to um, pay off student loans. Come on, I know I can get an amen for that. And then I started taking vacations. And one of my vacations, I took this trip to Spain. And I spent about uh, between 10 to 12 days in Spain just going all around, I mean, to bull, running the bulls to La Tomatina, where you were in like a town full of people from all over the world, like having this big tomato fight. And I was pelting people with tomatoes. Just, yeah, I mean, it was ungodly how I was hitting folks in the back of the head with tomatoes. I mean, and so I, I did all these different things. I got to try all these different food and ride bikes everywhere and go see the Gaudi houses and all this different stuff. And, and then, um, so I grew up in Texas. And in Texas, we play football. In Texas, we play the real football. I'm just <laughs> and, Yeah, and, and so I went, and I went to the, uh, these games and different things of that nature. And so I bought tickets. I went down. I like to experience the culture where I go. And so I like to go in those restaurants that's in the back alley. I don't like going to the places that everybody else go. I like going to places where I'm probably going to lose my wallet when I walk out of that joker. And so I uh, went, and I went down. I got tickets to a Real Madrid game. And if you know uh, who plays for Real Madrid, it's Ronaldo, one of the greatest players in the world. And I was on the train on the way there, and somebody had a Dallas Cowboys cap on, so I knew I was in the right place. And I went to the game, and I'm going to tell you something. Uh, my friends, and when I went to Europe on business, when I was an engineer, they would try to get me to play FIFA on the video game with them. And I knew nothing about soccer. I just know you kick as hard as you can toward the goal. That's all I knew. But I went into this game, and everybody had the colors on. Everybody was cheering. Everybody was getting into it. And I didn't know a thing about it. But here was the thing. Now I was in the game. It didn't even matter that I didn't know what was going on. As they cheered, and the team was scoring, and Ronaldo was going off, the people beside me started to teach me all the chants. And by the end of the game, I'm cheering with them. My voice is gone. I'm waving towels and everything else, and I'm into it. And I, I left, and I said, I got to go to the pro shop, and I got to buy a jersey. Now, Messi is the other most famous player in the world, and he plays for um, Barcelona, which I also visited. And I went to the pro shop, and I'm a cheap joker. And so I, I went in there, and I saw the price of the jerseys, and I said, you know, um, I want something to remember my experience by. And so I invested in this authentic jersey because I wanted something to remember the experience by that I was with these other group of people cheering on this great performance. Every day I live, I get to cheer on the greatest that we've ever known, Jesus Christ, and all that he's done. And it makes, even when I shouldn't um, be a part of the experience because I really know nothing about real sacrifice as according to what he did for us, it still makes me want to give my life as a sacrifice to remember what he's done 
and the experience I get to be a part of each week when I come and lift up his name with y'all guys. If you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you. And you might not understand everything that's going on at the beginning, but I hope by the time I sit down that the Holy Spirit has moved on your heart, that you leave here wanting to sacrifice your life because he sacrificed his for you. As I speak this morning, there will be page numbers on the screen, and those page numbers will correlate to the blue Bibles that are in your seat. And we value doing this because we want you to see that the things that we say actually come from the Scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, um, we ask you to take that one as a gift from us. If you don't have one that's easy to read, then please take that one as a gift from us. If you know someone that doesn't have a Bible or doesn't have one that's easy to read, then you can take that one as a gift from the both of us. This morning, you know, there have been uh, all kind of surveys and studies done that say this cold weather and weather affects how you feel and your mood. And I'm going to tell you something, this cold is having an effect on me. And I believe that it's having the same thing on many of us, this never-ending winter that we're in. So I want to do something a little different this morning to start off. I'm going to have the sound booth help me out by playing an awareness test. And I want to see how many of y'all are on it. So sound booth, would you help me out? This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? Now, by short hands, how many of y'all counted 13 passes? Now, how many of you spotted the bear the first time you saw the video? All right. Yeah. You know, life can be that way sometimes. You know, Um, we can put so much energy into winning the game that we fail the test. You know... (laughs) I told you that the clip was an awareness test, and immediately, most of you thought it was about tracking the ball. And in tracking the ball, you lost sight of the bigger picture. That's life right there. Sometimes we can can take every bit of overtime they offer, trying to provide a, a better life for our family, only to come home one day and realize that our family no longer considers us to be a part of it. We can, you know, do everything in our energy, spend all of our time and energy to make sure that our kids have the best resume possible to get all the college scholarships, only to wake up after they go to college and our marriage is in shambles because we realize we have nothing in common now that the kids are gone because we spent all of our energy focused on the kids. People have told you that you would amount to nothing, so you put all your time into achieving your goals so that you could prove them wrong 
uh, but that's when you realize that you have no deep, lasting relationships and therefore no one to share those achievements with. You were told that and unless um, you had the best grades, that you would never get a good job or amount to anything. So you spent all your time being the smartest person you know, only to be fired from the dream job that you've always wanted a year after you're hired because you have none of the social skills in order to thrive in a team environment. You know, last week we spent our time um, discussing how we should view our falls. And we said that we should view the marks from our falls as signs of God's grace, as tattoos of God's grace. Looking at the setbacks of life differently is one thing, but, but what do we do as we try to move forward? When the challenges seem endless and the odds look to be stacked against us, how do we do life in a way that we don't fail the test while winning the game? You know, as we bring this starting series to a close, um, and we've been going through the, week, the, the book of Genesis and those first four chapters, today we're going to focus on um, a passage found in Genesis 4.17 through 5.32. And that's where we're going to be at as we bring this series to a close. In this passage that we're in, Genesis 4.17 through 5.32, and it's on page five of those blue Bibles, um, Moses was leading the Israelites around Sinai in the wilderness when he wrote this passage. Now, the Israelites had just spent 480 years in a foreign land as slaves serving pagan gods. And this passage was going to be important to them for just this reason, right? As they tried to journey back to the promised land, why would the other nations give them that land back? Why would the other nations see them as a nation? If their focus was on proving they belong and showing all the nations that their assumptions were false, then they might win the game, but they would for sure fail the test. Because their mission as given to Adam and to Abraham was to be a blessing to all the other nations not to prove they belong or that they was just as good as them. That was not their mission. So this morning, as we view this passage, we'll view two approaches taken to overcome slow starts in hopes of learning that we build a foundation for the hope of our line by starting with worship in mind. We build a foundation for the hope of our line by starting with worship in mind. Initially in our passage, we come upon the story in the line of Cain. He is the latest in a series of family members to experience a fall. And by now, his actions are known by all, and, and he must decide how he'll go forward. As we examine this first portion of our passage for this morning, we see that Cain chose to rebuild his reputation after the fall. That's the first option we have. Is after a fall or a slow start, we can seek to rebuild our reputation. So let's start in the 17th through 19th verse. Now, I'm gonna be. I like being both candid and trans. Before I read this, I like being both candid and transparent, almost to a fault in my life. I like keeping it real in other ways. Say that, and I have a audio version of the Bible that when I get ready to read a portion like this that has a lot of names in it that I go listen to, um, to get the name. 
But here's what I want you to know. Here at Fellowship High Crest, here's the rule. When you're reading scripture, that name is whatever you say it is. I don't want you being intimidated by not being able to say the names. And that keeps you away from spending time and getting to know the God of the universe. So if you read this passage that I'm about to read and you said there was a dude named Peter and he had a son that he named Michael and Michael had a son named John and they named his son Lil John. Yeah, then that's what his name is. But as you read it, you just need to keep straight who you named, who, or those who's listening might just say, what? And so you don't want that kind of confusion, so you just need to keep the name straight. And I have a heavy Texas twang, so as I read these names, it's going to sound nothing like what they really are. So I don't want to get your expectations up. I listen to that thing, but it ain't gonna, still ain't going to sound nothing like it. So here we go. Here we go. Let's get into this thing. Cain had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain founded a city, which he named Enoch, after his son. And Enoch had a son named Irad, and Irad became the father of Mahul, and Mahul became the father of Methuselah, and Methuselah became the father of Lamech, and Lamech married two women. The first was named Adah, and the second was named Zelah. Sometimes it's like when you fall, you got to get up real quick for anybody to see it. If you, if you read the verse real fast, then you can get up and just keep rolling, nobody notices. So, all right, here's, here's the first way that you can examine if you're trying to rebuild your reputation after fall. And that is if you're being polar in your reactions. If you're being polar in your reactions, what do I mean by that? See, most people are polar in their reactions and church folks are the worst. What do I mean by that? So you can have it where when it comes to alcohol, some people will say you shouldn't drink at all. And some people will say go get toasted because there's grace. Those are two extremes. The Bible says you shouldn't get drunk. And that's why I like to say that. We try not to be polar. Right now we have a gun debate going on. You have some people that say that people want to repeal the Second Amendment. And you have some people that say people want to own everything up to nukes. We shouldn't be polar in our reactions because it doesn't help us. You know, if you come over to, to the Sublet household at a non-church event, um, you, go, you might see some wine out on the table. But if you have a problem with drinking because of what Scripture also teaches on it, then we won't have it out because we can pull back on our freedoms to help our brothers and sisters. See, that's not being polar in how you live. And you ain't got to hide your drink when I walk by you in the restaurant either. <laughs> I might just take a sip. No. <laughs> so, how does this play out in the line of Cain? What you see is Adam was given two jobs, to be fruitful and to multiply, Adam failed to consummate his relationship with his bride, and it seems that man has been polar in his reaction ever since. We've been way oversexed ever since Adam failed to consummate his relationship with his bride. Maybe if he was doing his job there, then the enemy wouldn't have had an opportunity to talk to his wife, and we wouldn't be in all this junk. But since he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, 
um, we see for the first but not the last time God's pattern of one man for one woman and one woman for one man, it breaks down. And no particular verse in the Old Testament prohibits, you know, having multiple wives. But here's the crucial point, that there is no examples that you can find where God had multiple wives and his life was not complicated and bruised. There is no examples that you can find of a man having one wife. Now, but stop. Um, this is recorded. So we witnessed this principle that I just told you in the life of Abraham when it comes to uh, Sarah and Hagar. You, you see it in the life of Isaac when it comes to Rachel and Leah. You see it also, I mean, in Jacob with or Leah and Rachel. And you see it also in the fiasco of the lives of David and Solomon. You see that same thing play over. You see it there. Then you see that, that Cain was given punishment. And part of his punishment was this. It says, no longer will the ground yield crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer. And that's found in Genesis 4.12. But not only was he not going to be a wanderer, um, Cain was going to build a city. You can't build a city if you're a wanderer, if you're a nomad, if you have no home. You can't build cities. It takes time to build cities. Trust me, I just tried to put up a set of blinds yesterday. It takes time. Not only was Cain's work not going to be fruitless, fruitless, but he became the father of industry. So that's the second way that we seek to rebuild reputation is we seek to be great at other things, at things that other people value. Look at this in verse 20 through 22 of chapter four. It says, Adai gave birth to Jabal, who was the first of those who raised livestock and live in tents. His brother's name was Jabal um, and the first who would play the harp and flute. Lamech's other wife, Zila, gave birth to a, uh, a son named Tobal Cain. He became an expert in forging tools of bronze and iron. Tobal Cain had a sister named Nama. Now, what do your time and money say that you're trying to be great at? Look at your calendar and look at your finances. That's, that's a hard thing to do. Tax. Tax season is like repent season because you start seeing where your money goes, right? You start looking back over your calendar where your time went. What does it say you're trying to be great at? Cain's offspring were successful by all of society's account, but they failed the test. Think about it. They were the leaders in the beginnings of farming and herding, of music and metallurgy. They were both industrious and cultured. The reason that God wanted man to fill the earth and subdue it was because he was supposed to be the bringer of blessing. God put Adam in his role um, because the rest of creation, while being blessed through him and his offspring, were supposed to see the bigger picture. They were supposed to see that those um, that under God's care are not only cared for and provided for, but they're lavished on. That's what they were supposed to see. You know, but, but there's danger in separating the creation from the creator, the image from the creator. And here is what it is. The three greatest world powers that we've ever known um, in this world to date are um, Egypt, Rome, and now the United States. When it comes to technological advances and being beyond the time and culture, probably Rome and Egypt are thought to be the most advanced cultures that, that existed. Both fell for the same reasons. What were they? Uh, overindulgence and entertainment. 
and a loss of moral standards. Where are we at today as a country? You know, here's the third way that you know that you're trying to rebuild your reputation is you breed environments of fear. Look at verses 23 through 24 of the same chapter. It says, one day, Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. If someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 77 times. You know, we can, we can build these environments where we make others afraid to challenge us, to hold us accountable, um, to speak ill of us. We promise extreme retaliation to any who oppose us. When we get to a point in life where we see everyone as competition, where, where no one can speak truth into our life without it being seen as betrayal, when everyone around us who doesn't agree with us is against us, then, my friends, we are failing the test. Because this thing was always meant to be done in community. And they have a saying in NASCAR. And it is, if you're not rubbing, you're not racing. And the same thing is true about relationship. If there is no conflict in your relationships, then your relationships are shallow. There's not any depth to them. You ask somebody who's been married for 25 and 30 and 40 and 45 years. There is some conflict in their relationships. It is deep. You know, I hear a lot of people say a lot of times that, hey, I'm not involved with the church because churches are messy. Well, here's the truth of, of, of the situation. Anywhere you go is going to be messy if you're being real. That's in your house. That's at your job. That's if you're on a sports team, no matter what you're a part of. And the reason all those things are messy is because messy people are part of them and you one of them. If you ever go to a church and it's not messy, then you're not a part of a real church. It's fake. And there's not deep relationships there. The reason that your relationship with God is going to be messy is not because God is messy. It's because you're messy. But that's why we need him. And that's why he sent his son. And that's why he gives his Holy Spirit is to work through and cut through all the mess in our lives and show us what it looks like to love people in spite of their mess. And the reason that the world wants to be a part of the church is they should see a place that accepts messy people and loves the messy folks' lives in spite of. Because that's how they've been loved. We cannot be people who want to be loved in spite of our mess but not love others in spite of theirs. But that's what we see here. We have to have some deep relationships, and conflict in itself is not bad. It helps us to become sharper and keep us on, on track. When we handle it in an unhealthy way, where we try to eliminate conflict, or we, or we kill um, the conflict that happens in an unhealthy way, we kill community. Here at High Crest, we're going to have some messy situations. It's not going to all be neat and nice and fit into boxes because we want to have real community. We really want to do life together. I can't promise you nice and neat here, but I can promise you real. 
By choosing reputation as our focus, we can become successful, but in the end, we'll be no closer to reconciliation. We have done nothing for reconciliation. We'll be no closer to God than we were immediately following the fall. We find that we may have won the game but fell short of the goal. There is no blessing outside of a relationship with God, and that means also being in relationship with his body. If you're going to, let me tell you something. If you hate my wife, me and you ain't going to be cool. You cannot love God and love Christ and say you hate his bride. So we see that if, if rebuilding our reputation is not the answer, then what is the other option? We see that other option in the line of Seth. In the line of Seth, he chooses legacy over reputation. So that's the other option, to build a legacy. So we get to Adam has sexual relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to another son, and she named him Seth. For she said, God has granted me another son in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. With, um, when Seth grew up, he had a son named Enosh, and at that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. Had y'all ever read that before? Man, I remember the first time I read that, I almost shouted. At that time, when we are seeking to build a legacy rather than reputation, the first thing we do is we think in layers, not levels. Let me explain that. Adam and Eve fell and were punished, and the first thing they did after that was they worshiped. Check out Genesis 4, 1 through 2. They lost a child, and they followed by worshiping in verse 25. You know, uh, they saw Seth as a provision from God. Those who choose legacy have worship of the one true God at their core, and therefore they trust the promises of God even when bad things happen. They take the long-term view. And here's what I mean by that. Here's, so when you think in levels, when you say, I'm going to put God first, you know what you're setting yourself up for? You're setting yourself up for guilt. Because you're going to always feel like you're cheating God. And you have no freedom. And you're going to, people are going to ask you stuff and you're going to feel forced to do it because I got to keep God first. But when you think in layers and God is your core, the first way you love God other than loving him um, for who he is, is by loving your spouse if you're married. So by loving my spouse and taking some time off and saying I can't do this one church event, I'm still loving God. He's at my core. The next way I do it is by loving the children that my wife helped provide for me and being a godly example before them. So when I can't do something, I have to be at my kids' event. I'm not cheating God. I'm loving God by the way I love my family. And then when I go to work to provide for this family that God gave me, that I'm supposed to be modeling him before, I'm not cheating God, but I'm loving God because I'm loving my family and providing for them. And I'm working the way that I work at work because I'm doing it not for the greatness of my name, but for the greatness of his. And then when I go out into the community square, I act the way I act, not because they put a pastor on it. But I act the way I act because at my core, God is at my center and I'm a worshiper at core. And that's the way I have to act because that is who I am deep down inside. That's when God is at your core. It gives you freedom. And you're not with all these restrictions and different rules that people put on you. But you have freedom. They see it in everything you do. 
The second way is when you're building a legacy, you take responsibility for the next generation. Verses 21 through 24, chapter 5 says this. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years. Man, that's a testimony. And he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Man, I wish somebody would say that about me when I pass. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. Special attention is drawn to the longevity of each descendant's life in the line of Seth. Special attention is drawn to the fact of how fruitful they are. Then we get to Enoch, who was seventh from Adam, just like Lamech was. And we see this contrast, right? We see, we see Enoch was being godly and fruitful, and you see Lamech over here in the line of uh, Cain um, was, was being uh, polygamous, and, and he was um, into retaliation. Enoch is, is characterized for his longevity, his fruitfulness, and, and his walk with God and his reproduction of future generations who would do the same. So when we get to Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it's not anything new. It's something that God has had in place from the beginning. It says when he says, hey, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure it is. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, those who choose legacy know how important it is to not only make disciples, but to make disciples who make disciples. And we like to say here that you haven't made a disciple until your disciple makes a disciple. And then those who make disciples, those who don't make disciples, they can't teach others how to make disciples. And those who don't worship can't teach others what it means to treat your worship as an offering. Those who are not givers have a hard time teaching others what it means to sacrifice. In the Hebrew culture, to model is to teach. And that's why the disciples spent three and a half years with Jesus every day and every night. This thing doesn't come quick and easy. This discipleship thing takes time out of your life. In order to disciple people, you're going to have to take some things off your plate to have time to spend life with them. The third way we seek to build legacy is to take the long-term approach. You know, we've heard the story of the tortoise and the hare over and over and over again, but a lot of times we forget the moral of the story. We forget the moral. We get caught up in being better than other people, and we lose sight of the true goal. So those who choose legacy take the long-term approach. Get, get verses 28 through 32 of chapter 5, and here's what it says. When Lamech was 182 years old, he became the father of a son, Lamech named his son Noah, for he said, may he bring us relief from our work and the painful labor of farming this ground that the Lord has cursed. After the birth of Noah, Lamech lived another 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Lamech lived 777 years and then died. By the time that Noah was 500 years old, he was the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The Hebrew word meaning to bring relief or comfort is the same it sounds the same as the name Noah. Did you know that? The Hebrew name that meant to bring relief or comfort sounds the same as the name Noah in Hebrew. So here's God 
in the tenth generation of the line of Seth, using someone in the same line that brought the curse to bring relief. That's grace. That's mercy. That's favor. A look at the genealogy of Jesus in Luke 3 shows that God can be trusted because there toward the end you see um, Noah, Seth, and Enoch all as a part of the lineage of Jesus, the one who will ultimately bring relief from the fall. You know, as we look at our lives and our backgrounds and the times we've messed up um, and the times we've fallen down, we may begin to view our falls differently, but we also need to respond differently. We should let our responses reflect the building of legacy and not reputation. When we choose legacy, we understand that lasting legacies aren't built on our expertise in industry or culture or anything on this earth other than our ability to influence the worshipers of the next generation. You know, maybe you think that your situation is different. Maybe you think that you've suffered too much and you deserve to get yours. And I can understand that, and you might be right. But before you settle on that, let me tell you about a guy. This guy was born of a premarital pregnancy. He was born in the barn. He was born into poverty. He had his life threatened as a baby. He was the cause of terrible suffering. He was moved around a lot as a child. His father died when he was young, and so he had to support his family. In adulthood, he had no permanent home. He was hated by some and opposed by many. In adulthood, he, 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 he went from place to place. People said that he was mentally ill and demon-possessed. He was, his own loved ones didn't believe in him. He was rejected and betrayed and abandoned and tried in a kangaroo court and executed in the most shameless fashion known to man. He was treated like a common criminal. And because of that, he was buried in somebody else's tomb on top of all those things. And his name is Jesus. And because he chose legacy over reputation when they hung him on the cross Now he sits at the right hand of the Father, and you and I have access to a relationship with a heavenly Father. So if you are here today and you're not a believer, I need you to know that the first step in choosing legacy over reputation happens when you choose Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you haven't done so, I'm going to pray in just a second or two here. And I want to give you that opportunity. And it's not going to be any special words or special order of words. Just a prayer of thanks. And, you, and you're doing this because you've been trying yourself. You've been trying hard to restore your reputation on your own. Instead of just being in the presence of God and enjoying what he's done for you. And you do this in recognition that God is good and holy and perfect. And we're messy. And because of our mess, we deserve to be punished. But when we were at our messiest, he sent his son to die for us. And he was hung on a cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he was risen from the dead. Now, if you believe in that, and that alone as your basis for having a relationship with the God of the universe, then you step from death to life. From doing and trying to done. That's what we're offering today. 
And if you make that decision today or if you've made it in the past and you haven't taken your first step of obedience through baptism, then we want to offer that to you today. We're going to have baptisms right after the service. I know you might say, I didn't bring any clothes. Well, we're going to have somebody right back here at the closet that's going to be able to give you some shorts and shirts that you can change into and get baptized today. As we begin to sing, you can ease over there, and they'll be right there at the closet door to meet you and get you shorts and shirts. And we got sizes all the way up to 4X. So that you can get those clothes and you can be baptized today. It's never going to get any easier. You're going to always make up another excuse. It's never going to be the right time. Everybody's not going to be here. Do it today. If you are a believer and you are here, then you need to seriously sit down if you're single and ask yourself, or if you're married, sit down and ask your spouse, is the way that we're living speaking more that we're trying to build our reputation or build a legacy? If you have kids, talk to this with them too. Because I tell, when I was a youth pastor, I used to tell parents, in 100 years from now, the only thing that will matter is your kid's relationship with God. Not how good they were at basketball or cheerleading or math or any of those things. The only thing that will matter 100 years from now is your kid's relationship with God. Choose legacy over reputation. Go make disciples. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your son, Jesus, chose legacy over reputation. That because of him, we have forgiveness of our sins. That you've modeled what it looks like to love in spite of our mess. So we ask that you would be with us this morning. That you would use your Holy Spirit to move on hearts and begin to transform lives. That as we celebrate baptism, we would celebrate your resurrecting power of bringing dead things to life. Changing hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. We thank you. We love you. We bless you. We pray these things in your darling son Jesus' name. Amen.